It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work, and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. On with the show. Hey, Jeff here. Just a little note about what you're about to hear. The Early Learning Journeys podcast used to be a standalone show I did with Tamar Jacobson. We decided to roll that show into the childcare bar and grill and are releasing the 14 episodes that we did as standalone shows into the bar and grill feed so that they'll be here. Uh, also, stay tuned for fresh episodes of that show as tomorrow and I record them. Plus, tomorrow's going to pop on for non-interview episodes now and again as time allows. So uh, we're glad to have her aboard. So here's the episode. Another guest in the Zoom studio with us. Who are we talking to today? Oh my goodness, Jeff. I am so excited. I can't believe it. I've got goosebumps. <laughs> it's Elsa Chang, who works uh, well, does a lot of things, who, and she's going to tell us her story. But I know her from the Pickler Institute. Um, I've been very interested in that. And I want to just give a, a quick, a tiny little story about that, actually. Uh, close to 10 years ago, I was at the, the World Forum in Belfast, and uh, I gave a talk about my book, Don't Get So Upset. And uh, in the audience was Anna Tardos, and I had never met her. Um, and she came up to me afterwards and just loved my work and uh, begged for a book because there were no books. I hadn't brought books except my own copy. And she said, please, could I have your copy at least? And she gave me her book as a as an exchange and uh, then I started to get to know the work of the Pickler Institute and I went to her um, her presentation which actually I actually cried through it it was so so beautiful and so so respectful to the children that I, uh, it was a, it was a, it was really a moving time for me so that's how I came to the Pickler Institute and then over the years I've sent, when I was the director of the University of Buffalo Child Care Centers, I sent staff to do trainings so that we could have the best infant care. Um, and then um, I don't remember how long ago, so maybe a couple of years ago in Tulsa, I, um, I heard finally Elsa, I have been reading things and hearing about her, but I heard her speak as a keynote speaker in Tulsa at the International Infant Toddler Conference. Um, and fell in love. That's what I do, Jeff. <laughs> That's a common theme with all of our guests so far. There are people Tamar is, is in love with. Well, just two now, just, just uh, um, Steve and Elsa. 
<laughs> so Elsa, welcome to the show. Um, we we usually like to dive right in with people's early learning journeys at the very beginning with their childhood. So what was what was childhood like for you? What kind of a child were you? What do you where do you want to start? Thank you so much, Jeff. And thank you, thank you so much, Tamar. It is lovely to be here with you and to hear Tamar's. Uh, encounter with Ana Tardos, who is also what I call my sister. You know, in Frozen, the movie Frozen, there are two sisters made famous by Disney, Elsa and Anna. And Anna is my sister. And we just have built this beautiful relationship. So what Tamar shared about uh, Anna is indeed what I also feel in my heart. Uh, the deepest respect for someone that is transforming childcare and giving us so much, really, really so much to inspire others to bring a happy childhood to children. Because as Anna says, every child deserves a happy childhood. So I'm so, I'm so grateful, Tamar. I'm so grateful, Jeff. And yes, let's start with my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, this is where it all begins, right? Our first life is where everything begins. And I want to tell you just a little journey about my life. Um, So my journey starts as a little girl playing with dolls. I played with dolls for many, many, many years. I had the most loving mother, and I am blessed for that and grateful to her. So I played with dolls. And really, this is a testament to the power of play. I was the oldest grandchild uh, in, with many, many, many grandchildren. And also, I lived in a community where there were many children. And I recall gathering all of them and putting on plays and putting on dances for the grown-ups who would do little shows where they would, you know, just watch us. And so I guess my love for children, play, my love for the community were always pivotal in my journey. I recall after high school, I took a gap year before going to college and I began working as a preschool teacher. I had no experience other than babysitting jobs uh, since I was 13. My Girl Scout first aid and babysitting badge that I was so proud of. And of course, my love for children. And as I look back, that was not enough. Had I known then what I know now, I probably would have enrolled in early childhood courses. (laughs) So I left that profession, Jeff, Tamar, I left that profession. I did not become a preschool teacher. Instead, I embarked in my dream of becoming a a professional ballerina, while at the same time earning my degree as an interpreter translator and uh, my certificate as teacher of English as a second language, as well as continuing my studies in archaeology and anthropology. But my journey to becoming a ballerina is also, uh, I guess, I guess in a way, uh, based on my childhood play and my love for children. You see, I started ballet at the age of 21, something so not very common. But I was determined 
to fulfill my dream. And I worked very hard at it. But who were my classmates, right? You enroll in a class at 21 years of age. Who were my classmates? Six-year-olds. Well, <laughs> like a scene from Gulliver's Islands, right? <laughs> Surrounded by dozens of Lilliputians. <laughs> I, I, I would assume that as a, as a 21-year-old with a bunch of six-year-olds, you have to have a playful mindset to, to even consider enrolling in a class like that. Absolutely. So in a way, Jeff, thank you for saying that. I found myself back in my childhood yard, surrounded by the little ones doing what I loved the most, which was to dance, to dance. And so I reached my goal and was accepted to dance in Mexico's premier neoclassical ballet company at the age of 25. Uh, However, at the age of 30, it was time for my husband and I to create our own family. And because being a professional ballerina is one of the very few professions that you can't really do when you're pregnant, (laughs) 22 years ago, I immersed myself in early childhood, uh, early childhood education for the sole purpose of how I would be raising this precious soul. So my son was my main teacher. How am I going to raise him? And luckily, fortunately, I found the work of Dr. Emmy Pickler and the teachings of Magda Gerber, who I had the honor of knowing. And I even had the privilege of translating Magda Gerber's book, uh, Your Self-Confident Baby, and three videos and many other uh, texts uh, to Spanish. So I guess once my son was born, I began implementing Dr. Pickler's respectful approach. Uh, I was saddened that uh, with the with the recognition that so many children around the world are growing up without their parents and they are growing up in institutionalized settings and I really wanted to do my part to support them and this is really what what changed my life I guess my son really changed that for me and Janet Gonzalez Mena who I know is a friend of yours really believed in my dream and we began traveling to uh, various children's homes in, in Mexico with the simple intention of inspiring the caregivers to be more present, to be more lovingly respectful with each child under their care. It was really about bringing that awareness. It's, yes, you are a caregiver, but are you aware of what you are bringing to this child's uh, rest of their life? And Ana Tardos, uh, who Tamar just mentioned, who is Dr. Pickler's daughter, and she had been the director of the Pickler Institute for many years, which was a home for children living without uh, parental care. She took me under her wing and began mentoring me. And I guess now being part of Pickler USA since 2003, I learned how important it was to guide caregivers in the the important task of offering children a happy childhood. Because I myself had not had any training to be a preschool teacher. I don't know if I mentioned, but my very first job was as a preschool teacher. And I 
failed. The parents would come to me at the end of the day. Why is my child's uh, pants wet? Well, I asked who wanted to go to the potty. No one raised their hand. So <laughs> the parents were, well, why is my child wet? And what? I didn't know what to do, Tamar. I didn't know what to do, Jeff. I did not have any training. So I failed. So I guess something that happened to me later, later on in my life is to begin focusing on pickler trainings to really provide the tools to professionals in the field of early childhood education and development. And I guess as part of our mission of Pickler USA, we began offering scholarships to many, many, many colleagues from around the world that could have access to these principles of respectful care and then apply them according to their own culture and in their own settings and communities. And I'm very happy to share that we've now given over um, 300 scholarships and the impact has been nothing short of miraculous. That is so important. You know, just on, on the question of your dancing, I have noticed on Facebook that you also do flamenco dancing. Is yes. That- <laughs> I- I am not not a professional flamenco dancer. However, as part of my training, I've taken many different types of dances. The one I've never taken, and I I wish I can, is tap dancing. And I hope I can add that to my curriculum. But I love world dances. I love Hawaiian dances, Tahitian dances, uh, Israeli dances. And I just like to immerse myself in the cultures because it's really through coming to know a culture through their dances, through their food, um, that you can really come to love them and they become our brothers and our sisters. So I really try to immerse myself in in different cultures to really become part of them. Because my father was from Rhodes Island, Greece. Um, I mean, he's been dead many, many, many years, 40 years or so, yes. Um, And he's from a... um, the Jewish Sephardic community. Um, so he spoke, it's like a Spanish, it's called Ladinos, but it's, it's, a, it's a kind of mixture of Spanish and Yiddish, I think. He never taught it to me, unfortunately. But he would tell me always when I was a child, you have to go, you have to go to Spain and you have to see the flamenco dancing. And I still have not done it. And I'm 71. I still have to do this before I die. I mean, so when I saw you dancing, I was just so overwhelmed with it. It's so beautiful. You have to look at that, Jeff. I, I, I will. I'm, I'm jealous because not only can I not dance, my wife has forbid it, uh, <laughs> forbid me to even attempt, uh, especially in public. So uh, I, I'm, I'm very jealous of, of people who can actually move their bodies in what doesn't look like a seizure, which is what it looks like if I try to, I try to dance. So uh, what about you? Tamar, could you bust a move? Oh, I'm pretty good. Are you pretty good? Yeah, I mean, no. I, I actually... Well, um, I'll be looking for that video online, too. <laughs> no, I haven't done that for many years. Actually, Elsa, I, I studied ballet when I was very young. My, my mother took me to ballet lessons since I was 18 months. And um, I left it when I was like 12, because apparently I, I didn't play with children. All I did was go and, and study dancing, and, and I sort of had no childhood as a result, but which is too bad, actually. Um, 
but but so talk a little bit more about the the community of your childhood and the the children that you were surrounded by because you said you said by you know by the time you you started dancing with those six year olds you already had a love of children thank you so much tamar thank you so much jeff i would like to go back a little bit at um and retake what you said, Tamar. My family also, uh, it comes from the Sephardic Jewish tribe. Oh. I found that out. I can now get a Spanish passport. <laughs> Why? So these are my roots. Yes, we come from the same lineage. So I'm very fortunate to, to be part of your tribe and your father's tribe. I and, have moved very deeply. Uh, very deeply. And I can't wait to learn more, just like many of us want to learn more about different dances. I can't wait to learn more about your culture and the Sephardic Jewish culture. And Jeff, there's no right or wrong way to dance. You call it a, what did you call it? A seizure? Yes. yes. No, no. no Jeff, Jeff, moving to music any way you feel is the right way. I work with children. I work with many, many children, uh, guiding them through dance in a very peculiar way where I don't teach them uh, the steps per se, but I just play the music and allow them to really enjoy and feel that music. And Jeff, what I encourage you to do with your wife is just play some music and just let your body move accordingly because this is what your inside, what your heart is telling you. Really, I don't like dogmatic teachers. I don't like teachers that say you have to do it this way or the other way, which is why I love Pickler so much. Just move and feel and whatever you do will be unique to yourself. And All right. Well, there, there's a plan for date night. <laughs> date night sounds like a fun dance night. <laughs> That's right. Dance party night at uh, at Jeff and Tasha's house. That'll be delightful. Okay, I'll put that. I'll put that on the agenda. Put it on the agenda, Jeff. <laughs> so tell I'll- us. More about your childhood community. Sorry, Jeff, I interrupted you. Oh no, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm good. I want to hear more about the journey. <laughs> Tell us more, Elsa, about you. I think um, hmm, I'm thinking about my grandmother because she would just play music and dance after any you know social gathering that we would have, and I think that really was what propelled me to to love the art of dance and to feel free to express myself and to not have any shame at the age of 21 to join a dance school with these tiny, tiny students that were six years old. I think we should never feel any shame in our lives. Instead, just really allow ourselves to dream, to have hope and to uh, live our our potential, what we are here to do in life. And I think the greatest thing, Tamar, Jeff, I think what has led me to fulfillment and happiness is to have a sense of purpose. It really has to do with, uh, I know sometimes people equate success with how much you make. And I know in the childhood profession, uh, there's little to be made. However, we can be the happiest of all professions because we're living from our heart and we're living a purpose and we are really preparing the young children for the rest of 
their lives. This is something that I learned from my dear friend, Professor Natasha Kasanov uh, from the University of San Francisco, the graduate med the medical graduate school of San Francisco. She says, what happens in childhood doesn't stay in childhood. So the idea of preparing our young ones for the rest of their life, can you imagine investing in our young children and see where uh, the future will take us? And I think that's something that uh, from my grandmother, from my mother that was so loving, from my dolls, from the children in my community, my Girl Scout uh, years, and all has prepared me to be where I am now. And I'm so grateful. I know you often ask about who are your mentors. I know that was uh, oftentimes one of your questions, right? Mm -hmm. Who are your mentors? And And who really um, has influenced your life? So I would like to tell you about my mentors. Well, firstly, my son, uh -huh. my mother, Gloria Contreras, the director of the company where I danced, who saw my potential, even though I had only been dancing for five years. You know what she said to me? She says, Elcita, if you want to dance with us, just learn the ballets. Can you imagine that welcoming? I didn't even have to do an audition, but she saw something in me that uh, she could uh, expand and grow. And of course, um, I want to thank Janet Gonzalez Mena, who first took me to present at national conferences when I was just a fledgling and anatardos for believing in me and co-authoring a book in me with me, uh, Ute Strube was passing to me what she learned from her teacher, Elfrida Hengstenberg, but really everyone, everyone that I have ever come in contact with, Tamar, Jeff, every person, whether I've met them in person or through a book, I learned so much from each interaction. Every, everyone has contributed to my life and I am deeply thankful. Uh, even the gentleman that helps me with my groceries. You know, <laughs> he is my mentor, Tamar. Jeff, he is my mentor because of his humanity and his kindness. I could see transferring the bags to my trunk and thank you very much. And it just out of the kindness of his heart. And he is my mentor that teaches me how to be uh, a better human being, because I think what we all need is that sense of belonging, that sense of community, and that, says, that sense of uh, collaborating with each other, connecting with each other. And I guess... Um, Along those lines, I want to hear more about this first night of ballet class when you're 21 with these six-year-olds. How... How was there, were there any mean girl situations going on or were they inviting and supportive? Um, what was, what was that like? I, I, I cannot imagine that. And I can imagine lots of things, but what was, paint us a picture of, of, of those first classes for you. Absolutely, Jeff. I would love to. So I contacted the ballet school and I said, I want to be 
a dancer. I want to be a ballerina, right? I had no idea the amount of work, the bleeding toes, the sore muscles. I had no idea what it really would take to be a ballerina, but I would give it a shot. And I contacted this teacher and she said, okay, let me do an, a little uh, assessment. Great. Come on Mondays and Wednesdays at 3.30. So I show up at 3.30 to my surprise with the youngest, right? Because I am a novice. So here I am with these little dancers that were six years old. They were so sweet. Actually, no bullying. Of oh, course, good. on the contrary, they were looking up to me because I was older. So it was in a way I was the role model, Jeff. And I knew that the harder I work, the harder I would inspire them. They looked up to me. And a few years later, I became their substitute teacher and I grew with them. Eventually, you know, going on to the 11-year-olds and the 13-year-olds until I was with the 15-year-olds. I, I grew my way into the school program, but I, I never felt ashamed. And I think this is really something important. When you want something, when you want to go after a goal, never feel ashamed. I never felt ashamed that I was 21 and I'm dancing with the six-year-olds. No, I saw it as this is part of my journey. I accept it. I love it. And I came to love this group very much. And you would you would be surprised to see the videos of our recitals because we all had the same attire. So I'm wearing this, you know, peach, peach, unflattering, very unflattering for a 21-year-old peach little leotard with this little skirt that just made my hips look like they were, you know, the size of a hippopotamus. But I never had that consciousness or that shame or that feeling bad about myself. I look back now when I see those videos, but instead here I am, you know, first position, second position. And, the, and here we are all dancing together as a group, as a collective, as a unity. And I think that also uh, is a testament to my love for children and to uh, really, um, I guess, my love for my grandmother that always said, you know, dance on Elsa, dance on. You, you've but, mentioned your grandmother a couple of times. What was, what was she uh, apparently very loving, but what was she like? What was, what was, what's, what's a little bit of her story and, and how much of, of her life and your life interacted um, those kind of things. Oh my goodness. You're going to make me, I, I haven't been in a while. So it's, I think it's going to make me a little sentimental. My grandmother was an um, orphaned at a young age. And she was the oldest of several. I think she had seven siblings. And she became, at a very young age, even before adolescence, she became the mother mm -hmm. to her siblings. And I wonder if that also has to do with my love for working with children that don't have parents, right? Just like Emmy Pickler, whose mother died when she was 12, whose Emmy Pickler's daughter was, I mean, Emmy Pickler's mother was um, a kindergarten teacher. So you wonder, right, about our influences. But my grandmother was so elegant and so joyous and so... Um, really living in the moment and going forward. You know, my grandfather was a doctor. He, he was a wonderful, wonderful 
Doctor Who at uh, a younger age when they were married. He had a stroke, so he was paralyzed. And my grandmother carried on with her family, with my grandfather that was paralyzed and taking care of her children and still dancing, coming together as a family and dancing. So it's really, I guess this is something that I've learned from uh, my dear friend, Holly Elisa Bruno, from hardship to hope, right? Mm -hmm. How we can overcome uh, different situations that can be very, very difficult and still find a way to shine, to to dance and to love. And I'm sorry, I wasn't expecting all this. This <laughs> that's, it's, that's, that's good. It's good. Well, I mean, you know, people who will be hearing the, the podcast have all kinds of lives too. And it's, uh, it's good for them to know that this is life, right? That sometimes it's, it's sad and nostalgic and sometimes it's uh, painful. I mean, because we are working with children and we care about children and families. And that's not a, a cutesy job. I mean, this is human beings with human emotions and it's compassion and it's love, as you say. And also sometimes not, you know, sometimes it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of pain involved. So it's, it's perfectly all right. Was, were, were you, was your grandmother in Mexico? Were you in Mexico or was it in California? Yes, in Mexico. So you know, it's yeah. a funny thing about California, why I'm in California. Yes. And I have to tell you, I think this is a, a sweet story. Um, when I was a schoolgirl, my mother transferred me in third grade to a bilingual school. And I failed. I failed every year. So I would be in two grades. I would be in third grade, fourth grade Spanish, third grade English, fifth grade Spanish, third grade English. I could just not get a sense of the English language. And my mom put me with um, tutors and I was just not getting it. Tamara, I guess it's like how some children don't get mathematics. So my mom lovingly thought, okay, we got to move to California. So she brought us to the United States for a few years. I was enrolled in a school in, in fifth grade. Six months afterwards, I was fluent in English. Even though I had had failing grades, my mother never made me feel ashamed. You look at my report card, Tamar, Jeff, it's all red. I, I even had E's. I mean, this is we don't have E's anymore, but I had D's, E's, and F's. It was all red. But I never, I mean, I just found those recently. She never made me feel ashamed. She found some ways that I could thrive and brought us to the United States. And what is very surprising is that I'm an interpreter translator. I have my, uh, my, I pass my exams on proficiency in the English language at Oxford and Cambridge universities. I have my certificate of a teacher of English as a second language. So something that could have set me up for failure and to be somehow considered that, oh, she doesn't know how to speak English and have all these failing grades. No, let's see, what can we do? And my mother's love and her uh, intuition, because she was a young mother, and set me really where I am now. And I think this is really, really important because you know, when you ask your colleagues and you ask your other presenters about 
who your mentors are, like I said, with who my mentors have been. I think everyone in our lives, uh, every single interaction prepares us to where we are now. Uh, I remember even learning about mindfulness and sensory awareness many, many years ago. And I had this teacher, Stefan Lang from Sensory Awareness Foundation, and he would talk about being present. And I asked him, how can I be present all the time, right? It seems like, how can we be present all the time, right? We have so many things distracting us. And you know what he said to me? He says, Elsa, you don't have to be present all the time. Just be present now. (laughs) Now. And now, and now. And I think having that recognition of the moment to moment has really helped me with, you know, a hectic lifestyle, so many different hats, you know, as a dance teacher, mindfulness teacher, a trainer of, um, of the Pickler pedagogy, uh, president of the board and CEO of Pickler USA. But I find myself really at ease because I can just approach everything moment to moment. And it's something that I would like to recommend to your audience that we don't have that huge stress ahead of us. Like I have this deadline and I have this and I have this. Well, where are you now? And how can you practice your breathing in this moment? And that serenity and that calmness that every moment brings to us. And and in the classroom with, with young children, it's it's so difficult because caregivers their minds are fretting about lunch and wondering if a parent used a tone with them earlier in the day and wondering about the paperwork and what's going to be what things are going to be like when they get home in the evening and and being right here right now present in this moment with those children is the primary focus of the job and 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 then we get pushed by by other entities that the focus needs to be on kindergarten ready or whatever it is and and we get pulled away from from that moment and so what you're saying is absolutely 100% correct and so so hard to do for so many people working in this profession huh you know it's very interesting because i just had a conversation with the director of the school one of the schools where i work Uh, She invited me to do the mindfulness curriculum last year. And this year, we really launched it uh, as a pilot program with all the grades. And one morning, I woke up and I called her. And I said, you know, it's not about teaching a mindfulness class. Because I was teaching a mindfulness class to every grade for 30 minutes or an hour a day. I said, you know, mindfulness needs to be included Throughout the curriculum, it is not a class. I see teachers doing beautiful drawings with the kindergartners and then singing a song like to transition that it's time to go. And I noticed something that really called to my attention. She was being very loving, very sweet and saying, it's time to go. It's time to go home. And she would, the child was still finishing the drawing and she would take the drawing out of the child's hands. It broke my heart. So I talked talk to the director. I said, it is really not about a mindfulness class. It really has to be incorporated in the entire curriculum. All the teachers need to really follow this to be consciously aware of every single interaction that we're having with each child. Can you imagine, Jeff, having that paper janked out of your hands when you were just not finished yet? Yeah. What is the hurry? So this is something really to 
to think about, you know, how can we really incorporate mindfulness? And this is the genius of Emmy Pickler because she did that through a caregiving interactions. Every child that uh, was under the care of a caregiver, they were the most important in that moment. Nothing mattered. The caregiver was attentive, even though there were several other children in the play area. But when when the caregiver was present to the child's needs, the child felt it. And the child was fueled. The child was really, uh, in a way, feeling safe, secure, soothed. And all that then allowed the child later to be able to branch out and explore and play freely. So I think that's the genius of Dr. Amy Pickler. But I think really incorporating mindfulness into our curriculum, so whatever it may be at whatever level, I think it can change the lives of not just ourselves, but the children and anyone that comes in contact with us. Absolutely. Uh, Elsa, you have one son? One son. Sometimes, Sometimes people say, oh, you have just one. <laughs> it seems like I have just one. But the truth is I have one. That is, God gave me so much in one. And I'm very blessed. That's another thing we have in common. I have one son. And I feel the same way like you. <laughs> this is very interesting how, how similar. I can't get over it, actually. I'm just sitting here amazed. Because, you know, I also played with dolls when I was a child. I've written some articles about playing with dolls because I, I, I use it also in my teaching as a preschool teacher with children in a way that to help them talk about feelings, I, they, they, they could do it through the dolls. It's, it's a whole kind of system that I, that, I, uh, that I learned and have always worked with. But how, how did you play with your dolls? In what way? I mean, I used to play out scenarios, um, I think probably about my life, because my life was difficult. I didn't have such a loving mother as you did. And so I would go into my room for hours and play out scenarios that helped me overcome you know, loneliness or, or feeling unsupported and so forth. But I think you might have played with your dolls a little differently. Thank you, Smart. <laughs> I think hearing all this from you, uh, I think we're soul sisters. I do. I do. <laughs> I think so, too. I think so, too. So how did I play with my dolls? Um, you know, I was 15 years, 15 years old. This is quite unusual when I got my Cabbage Patch doll, because they had just come out. So even at 15, I was still playing with dolls. I even had, I don't know if you recall, uh, paper dolls that you would dress them. Remember remember that? Just things that were so simple. I also had a, a little doll that you actually would feed. And it had like this little track where whatever... Parts you were feeding him would go into a diaper so you would change the diaper so it wasn't just you know pretend play but you were actually giving this little porridge uh, to the doll and she would actually uh, poo and pee and you would change the diaper so I, re- I have those really fun memory- memories I, I haven't found those dolls anymore and I thought they were great I thought uh, they were really great but um, I also had two siblings that were younger than me and my mom did give me a lot of responsibilities with them. So I guess transferring from my dolls, um, mm-hmm. I, I became a little bit of a mother figure to, 
to my siblings. I even recall uh, a little bit of a traumatic story, if I may, that I actually had to go to therapy about uh, when I was seven years old. I did not remember. I did not learn English until I was in about 11 years old. My mom brought us to the United States for a holiday uh, and we were enrolled in day camp. I didn't speak the language. And my mom said, okay, Elsa, when you're finished with day camp, take your brother and your sister back to the little townhouse that she had rented for us. So day camp finishes. I am here, Tamar, Jeff, with my brother, who was five, and my little sister, who was three. And I'm walking the streets of this tiny little village, but I'm walking and walking and walking and walking, and I can't find the townhouse. Mm. I can't find it. I can't find it. So I go back. Fortunately, I found the day camp again, figure out a way to communicate that we were lost. My mom came back to me, finally picked us up. And you know what she said to me, Tamar? How could you not have found the house? Oh, my goodness. And so for me, it was like this. I'm seven years old and I'm tasked with this responsibility of my little brother and my little sister. And I just don't know what to do. And I did the best I could. So when working with this therapist about this traumatic situation, the good thing that came out of it is I can now travel the world. Uh-huh. It taught me something about map reading. I even went into cartography. I I got <laughs> very far into cartography. I know how to write maps, how to do maps, how to read them. Um, and in retrospect, I'm grateful for that opportunity to, to have learned, okay, how do I navigate when I'm a different, in a different place, in a difficult situation? But I think that also marked me also in my leadership and our responsibility with young ones. And it was hard for me, but at the same time, it has been a blessing because it has it guided me to, I think, where I am now. So in other words, anything difficult was an opportunity for you. Yes, and I didn't want to talk about that. I thought I would just keep it all nice and peachy and rosy and happy. But the truth is, we all go through traumatic situations that really make us who we are now. I think every situation that we've lived takes us to where we are now. But, so but we, we, we don't all turn them into opportunities the way right. you have. We right. don't all turn the struggle with – look, I took, I took four years of Spanish in high school. Um, I, I could ask where the beach is right now. That's about as far as I, I, I go. And, and in my own defense, the only reason I was in that class is because there was a beautiful girl who I wanted to sit close to in that class. Um, but I, I, I didn't take that and turn it into something like you did. Um, the, the getting lost on the way to the townhouse turns you to cartography. Um, not all of us take those adversities and turn them to our advantage the way you have so what is magical about you and, and how do I learn it? I thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate that. I think, I think it has to do with resilience. So first you have to have a strong emotional base. And this is what I had already from my mother. And I think that's why uh, people in our profession are what I consider the greatest philanthropists. They are preparing our future. 
caregivers in this profession are the greatest philanthropists. They are really, really preparing children for the rest of their lives. So I think resilience, I think uh, by having that strong base in the beginning, which is why we need to invest in early childhood education, like uh, Hackman, um, Nobel laureate, Hackman did this uh, uh, Hackman equation. This is what he calls him. So for every dollar that you invest in early childhood, you will have $7 uh, later on as a society. So that is why it's so important so important to do this and and to build that resilience in young children by first giving them the foundation because then whatever adversity that comes their way boom they are able to overcome it they can stand up after they fall they can uh, learn from their experiences and for example what you were talking about jeff uh post-traumatic stress syndrome right uh, my dear friend as i mentioned before professor natasha kasanov she talks about post-traumatic growth. And I think this is something so hopeful and so beautiful is how can you overcome uh, despite adversity instead of taking it into a trauma, but to actually from these situations, boom, you can actually grow from them. Post-traumatic growth. I think this is something that we can all learn from and really instill in our children by giving them the very, very, very first foundation of uh, their their first years, being there for them, being present for them, taking the phone off the hook, disconnecting from our, our devices, and really being fully present to them. These are the foundations that we are giving them to prepare them for the rest of their lives. So now, don't you want to send everybody to study with Elsa? You yes. sure do. <laughs> I mean, it's so important, and it seems like... Um, you know, it, it's just, it seems like it's so natural, but it really isn't for so many people. They just don't understand how important it is to be authentic and present and, and, and uh, to give that foundation. So often people think that it's spoiling children, actually, which is exactly the opposite, right? It's exactly the opposite. Once they've had this strong foundation, then they're capable of being resilient, as you say. But if we punish them and, and hurt them, it makes it much, much harder to actually get by. It makes them more afraid and anxious about everything. It's exactly the opposite of how uh, so many people are treating children. I'm seeing in the background some kind of beautiful animal, animals. Two. <laughs> I have two cats too. I have two cats too. Jeff, this is, this is meant to be. <laughs> I have to tell you, my next book, well, my next book is going to be called The Future is in Our Hands. But the one after that is going to be called What I've Learned for My Cats About Early Childhood Education. Now I'm experiencing the process of sibling rivalry. <laughs> Absolutely. This, I wish I could show you. I know our audience can't see this, but now our older cat is grooming the little one, which means he's bonding with him. He's accepting him. He is letting him know, I love you and welcome to the house. So it took a month and a half, but now he's doing it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I used a couple of those, um, maybe two or three, you know, I write blog, a blog. And I had written many, many blog posts about my cats and what I'd learned about early childhood from them. <laughs> so I, 
I yeah. can't wait to read them. <laughs> so oh my in my latest book, the one about everyone needs attention, I have a few scenarios like that that I that I that I describe because I've learned a lot from my cats about early childhood, a great deal. <laughs> and also my reactions, right? My reactions to how they behave. I think that's what's most important, our reactions. <laughs> you nailed it. I think our reactions as adults when we are interacting with young children and how can we just breathe, not take things personally, and uh, get out of our reptilian brain, really uh, work from our prefrontal cortex, and then just we will be able to react accordingly to what children really need. So I love that, Tamar. Elsa, when, when I was uh, setting up the interview with you, you said you are teaching in the morning so or, or in the day. What are you teaching and, and where? Can you tell us? Yes, of course. I teach dance. I have 170 students from kindergarten to sixth grade two elementary schools, one a private school and one in a very underprivileged uh, area, uh, children mostly coming from foster care. And I'm now also teaching mindfulness. And I'm also the substitute Spanish teacher. So you want something done? Call me. That's what they say. You want to get something done? Call a busy person. So dance, Spanish, mindfulness. But um, so I'm just happy. I'm happy to share what I have learned in my life, what um, has taken me to where I am now. And very shortly, I'm teaching a training in, uh, in China, uh, a pickle training. I now have uh, over, a, oof, probably a thousand students now uh, that are now implementing the pickle pedagogy in China. So I just go from one thing to the other, really, because it's what makes me feel happy. I don't like labels. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm just me uh, sharing what I have learned throughout my life. So, so if people wanted to, to train with you about Pickler, they could contact you? Yes, of course. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how it works. Elsa at Pickler.org. We're an all-volunteer organization. And all the emails. I've got a question about about your Pickler journey. You mentioned that you found yourself as a preschool teacher and you said you failed because you you hadn't been trained. And then when your son was on his way, that's when you discovered uh, Gerber and Pickler. How did your interaction with children change between that first experience as a preschool teacher and when your when your son arrived after you after you studied up, um, what what specifically changed in how you interacted with children? I love that question, Jeff. Thank you so much. So, uh, being a part of Pickler USA since two thousand three, I really learned how important it was to guide caregivers in the important task of offering children a happy childhood, because like you said, I myself had not had any training to be a preschool teacher and had failed. So as part of Pickler USA, we began offering trainings to provide the right tools to professionals in the field of early childhood development. And really as part of our mission of Pickler USA and our vision, We began offering scholarships so that colleagues from around the world could actually have access to the principles 
of respectful care and then apply them accordingly to their own culture and their own settings and their communities. And we've given hundreds of scholarships already. But the truth is, I think training is an important part to set people uh, in the right path because something that I learned is it's not enough to love children. It's not enough to love a vocation, but how can you prepare yourself? How can you actually uh, learn how to be a guide, how to really uh, fulfill this important uh, vocation? So I really uh, recommend that if you are interested in a specific uh, vocation that you actually get some training. I think this is what set me up for, fail, for failure in the beginning, not having the training. And then now, which is what has changed my my life, being able to get trained to myself and to offer trainings to others. And something that's so simple. I mean, it doesn't even cost a lot of money, Jeff, to, to do the pickler work. Basically, it has to do with your presence, your responsiveness, your allowing the child to feel safe, seen, and secure, and how you use your hands, how your hands uh, touch the child, how your hands invite communication, cooperation, your tone of voice, your calmness, your modeling the behavior that you want to see in children, not grabbing things out of their hands, instead asking for them. So it's something so simple, very simple, uh, profound, very profound, but simple type of training where anyone, any culture, regardless, you can have even a third grade elementary school level because I've worked with uh, caregivers from orphanages around the world that only have a third grade elementary uh, school certificate. However, they can be the actually the best, best caregivers for children because they can internalize the importance of that gentle touch, of that gentle tone of voice, and that will really impact the way they are being and how the children will receive them. So did you do training while you were pregnant? So while I was pregnant, I read a lot. Uh-huh. I didn't work. I had nine months off. <laughs> I read and read and read. I read all sorts of so many books out there and so many books that you really, you don't want to even recommend. So fortunately, I found Magda Gerber's books and Emmy Pickler's books. And I thought, this sounds right. It, it so occurs. How, oh, go ahead, Tamar. I just want to know, how did you find those books? I mean, what? Yes. Book? I will tell you, it was pretty serendipitous. I was on the treadmill. I always worked out when I was, you know, pregnant. Even if I wasn't dancing, I was on the treadmill. And the lady next to me, she said, oh, you're pregnant. You may like to look into resources for infant educators. Took me a long time to find them because this is before the internet. And resources for infant educators uh, is spelled differently than educators. So I just couldn't find it in the yellow book. But that's me. I'm perseverant, persistent, tenacious. I found the books. I wrote to the organization. And I, like I said, I even ended up translating Magda Gerber's book. So it changed my life. It was something that just really fit with my way of, of, uh, of seeing life, of respecting 
uh, another human's life from birth. And my son, oh my God, bless him. Like you say, yes. in your culture, yes. uh, God bless him. But um, beautiful, young, kind man that cares about uh, humanity, uh, social justice, respects authority, generous, very generous. And so I am blessed to to have received this. And this is the reason why I work as a volunteer, because I am blessed with the result of seeing my son, who he has become. And so my dedication in my life is to try to inspire others and to give back to uh, what I learned from Emmy Pickler, from Magda Gerber, from my millions of mentors, because I see this young man thriving in humanity with no bigger goals other than enjoying his life. He's studying art and languages in university, not aspiring to be, you know, this or that, but really enjoying what he, what he loves to do. And I think, I think that's following his heart, following his heart. Are you, are you different to the rest of your family? Ah, yes, of course, we're all different. My brother works in Microsoft. My sister is a vice president of a bank. I'm the dancer. We're all different. So my mother really raised us to be our unique selves. You know, just what is it that you love? I remember one time I was so messy. And I'm sorry to say this. I didn't want to disclose all these things here, but you're making me be very candid. I was messy. And my mom... Uh, I remember she gave me a gift when I cleaned my room and I was probably in the, I was in the seventh grade and I will never, never forget that gift because it carried on for many, many years. It was an alarm clock that had a radio. And so I could play my music in my own room. And I don't know why I'm saying this, but... But that, I just remember that my mama, my mama never shamed me. She would just, I guess, reward the good behaviors with things that she thought would, would uh, serve us. And so that radio, listening to music, dancing, you know. In your messy room? <laughs> it wasn't messy, oh, but <laughs> it was, but not anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe she gave you that so you'd clean up your, your, your room so you'd have room to dance. That's right. I think so. I think she did that. She's very clever, right? Very like clever mother. Days to learn English. And oh my gosh, I'm going to call my mother after this. <laughs> really? Hey, Elsa, it occurs to me that we've mentioned uh, Gerber and Pickler a couple times, and maybe we should should spend a few moments explaining who they are and what they did for some of our listeners who may not be uh, tuned into them, because I think it's going to be really hard to get either one of them as future guests on this show. You <laughs> might be you might be one of our best options to to understand them and their work a little bit more. So could you could you share a little bit with us about about them and their practice and their their work sure jeff i would love to so emmy pickler actually tomorrow is her birthday uh january 9th uh 1902 and she passed away june 1982 she was a pediatrician studied in vienna during the 20s and you know all these different um uh, schools of thought were brewing at that time, psychoanalysis and nature and letting children 
play outdoors, sleep outdoors. So Emmy Pickler had really amazing, amazing teachers like Clemens von Perquet, who's actually the father of the term allergy. Uh, he c- came up with that term and he was one of the uh, fathers of the tetanus uh, vaccine. But anyway, Emmy Pickler had these amazing teachers and she became a family pediatrician in 1935 in, in Hungary. She was a Jewish pediatrician. So according to the law, she could only care for Jewish families. And she had over 100 families under her care. One of them was Magda Gerber. Magda Gerber's family. Uh, she took care of her two youngest children. And Magda Gerber, uh, in the first uh, examination of her young child that was sick, she was really impressed why Emmy Pickler would ask the child, how are you feeling? Can you lift your arm? I'm going to take your temperature. That was not the way that doctors would normally interact with children. So Magda Gerber was very intrigued. And then this became the beginning of a beautiful friendship and a mentorship from Emmy Pickler to Magda Gerber. Emmy, uh, Magda Gerber emigrated to the United States in 1957 with the Hungarian Revolution. And then eventually in 1978, she started uh, resources for infant educators based on the work of Emmy Pickler. So I think uh, we're all very grateful that Magda Gerber was able to bring this beautiful pedagogy to the United States because otherwise it was kept behind the Iron Curtain and communism. And it was very hard to actually have access to to any of this information, which is why we have very limited resources in English about the Pickler pedagogy, other than what uh, Pickler USA and other colleagues have been able to translate into the English language. But I think uh, these, these women have paved the way for many of us to learn how to be respectful with our young and their influences have gone a huge way. You know, the program for infant toddler care as part of the Department of Education of California, Dr. Peter Mangioni and Dr. Ron Lally, who are the founders, they actually uh, mention uh, Pickler as the foundation of their work because Magda Gerber herself was a consultant of the program for infant toddler care. So we see the influences of Emmy Pickler in many, many ways and all, all across the world. And although many times we don't give her the recognition that she deserves, she taught us how to be respectful. She is the only one ever, the first one to consider infants from birth as competent beings, competent beings from birth. Can you imagine that? Otherwise, children were seen, infants were seen as objects. Hemi Pickler said they are competent beings from birth. And then also the idea of they can move freely. You know, we all have a genetic disposition. We are all part of this evolution of the human species. We don't need to be taught how to move, how to turn, how to sit up. The body naturally will evolve once our, our myelination is ready and our brain is ready. We will go to those through those different stages. And this is something that Emmy Pickler did a lot of research about. 722 children were part of her study from 1946 to 1963, every single one of those babies in her study, 722, went through the exact same natural gross motor progression without being assisted. Some took a little bit longer than others. However, this is part of, you know, how we are as human beings. And nowadays there's so many stupid, I'm sorry, take that out. 
You yeah. can say whatever you want on the show. Contraptions. I don't even know what you call them. The, like these bubbles where you put the child into and they're taught to be entertained. They're really not teaching them to move or to play freely when playing really teaches a child about problem solving skills. And Emmy Pickler, this is something that I want your audience to take out. If they take anything out of the, this talk today, have them take this. Emmy Pickler talked about fostering self-awareness in infants. Can you imagine that? Self-awareness. And now we hear Daniel Goldman, who's one of my teachers. Daniel Goldman, the father of emotional intelligence. What is the foundation of emotional intelligence? Self-awareness. And this is what Emmy Pickler was teaching to her caregivers through letting the child know, I'm picking up your leg now. I'm going to put this on. Can I have your hand? The child was learning through the caregiving interactions about self-awareness and also about their own interactions during play and free movement. So I think this is why uh, Dr. Pickler uh, was really truly a genius and why we all need to learn from her and really support children to be the best uh, um, that they can be by having a happy childhood and not be forced to be something that they're not. I so love the idea of giving children a happy childhood. It, just that notion, just by saying that, it has such meaning, actually, you know, because, you know, as a, as a professor of early childhood, I would have to go out and supervise student teachers in environments that was were really not giving children a happy childhood. And Sometimes I, I used to beg the chair of the department, please don't send me out to these places. I mean, I, I need to see them and I need to help my students, but I, I sometimes would go home and just weep because there was nothing I could do about it. So the idea of that being the foundation of our work is to give children a happy childhood is so important. Joy and love and play and interaction and relationship, so important. Jeff, you will get, I can see you want to say something. Well, well, this, this again, I just listened to you talk. I, I just remembered that September 11th, 2001 was the day I fell in love with Gerber and Pickler. Um, and, 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 and it got, that day got overshadowed by other things that happened, uh, uh, uh later in the day. But, uh, I was, I was actually going through the program for infant toddler caregiver training and, and we were, we were, they were talking about them that day. And so, um, well, well, the world is falling apart. I'm, I'm sitting back in the hotel room reading all the handouts I got before the conference was canceled, um, about them. And, um, Tamar falls in love with a lot of our guests. I, I fell in love no, with those two no, women. No, I, I just had not a few, lot. Not uh, a lot. Not a lot. Just half so far. Half. Well, we've only interviewed a couple. Well, yeah, but you fall in love with half of our guests so far, Tamar. So, I mean, that's. Well, I, I'm going to keep a. I'm going to keep a. I'm going to keep a tally here on who Tamar. No. Oh. <laughs> it's completely different. Steve, I've known for years, and the work that he's doing, which is quite similar, actually, in terms of emotional development and giving children a happy childhood. Um, so, I mean, that's different. But yeah, else okay. is something else. When that's I saw true. her speak, that was it. I was in love. Well, there are all kinds of different kinds of love. And I, I fell in love with uh, Gerber and Pickler that day. And uh, hearing your stories, I hadn't heard the story about how they met. And that's that amazes me. And, and what you say is so true. I, I walk into 
early learning infant toddler rooms in programs and you'll see a line of baby swings with these infants in these swings that are not only rocking but vibrating and playing music at the same time in a lot of early learning settings out there still in this world today where we know everything you've been talking about the goal in infant toddler rooms is to overstimulate them so they fall asleep so they're easier to care for and it, it is heartbreaking when you compare that to a, a very tuned in responsive caregiving environment without all the all the containerized child contraptions and it, it takes work and it takes effort to run a respectful infant toddler program but it, it's not happening as as much as as it should be and it's it's heartbreaking Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'll get off my soapbox. I apologize. No, it's important. It's important. Oh. We, can't, so we can't say it enough. Thank you so much, Jeff. I think that was very valuable. 9-11-2001, uh, as you were reading those books, I was celebrating my son's second birthday. He was born on 9-11. So while oh. everyone was, you know, buying provisions in the supermarket, I was buying a little cake because I thought, I still have to celebrate his birthday. So that was a birthday party. Talk about a balance, right? While all these things were happening, I still had to honor my little one. And yes, nowadays he hates his birthday. And I said, honey, you know, there's night and there's light. And there's darkness and there's light. And you are part of that light within that darkness. So it has been a, a huge, uh, a huge lessons for us, a huge lessons, lesson for us. But you were talking about building those relationships and how many children in those contractments and trying to make the job easier for the caregivers? Well, I'm going to tell you, with Pickler, actually, we make our job easier for you. This is actually the beauty about the Pickler approach. So what Emmy Pickler created, which is beautiful, based on her first 10 years as a family pediatrician, uh, when she uh, got... Uh, uh, encouraged by the government to create a home for children after World War II because there were many, so many children after World War II that were left without parents or whose parents had tuberculosis. And she had seen the devastation of the war being hidden herself as a Jewish uh, pediatrician, her and her daughter being hidden. Can you imagine and looking out the window and seeing all the children with these horrible devastation and these horrible situations? She she really decided, I want to do something for these children to give them, as Tamar said, a happy childhood. But at the same time, how do we also support the professionals? So you're not going to believe it. First, the government gave her these very professional nurses. Well, guess what? The nurses were more uh, interested in the cubbies, mm -hmm. the cupboards, the order. So guess what? Emmy Pickler fired them. She said they're not understanding the importance of relationship, especially we're talking about children without parents. So now you have the child there living with you 24 hours a day. How do you really establish that connection and that attachment so that the child can thrive? So the beautiful thing is Emmy Pickler hired these young women, just like I was 18 years old. I wish I had him had had Emmy Pickler when I was 18 years old mm -hmm. and women from the mountains and she really taught them how to be respectful, how to be present, how to talk to them in an authentic way. No scripts, no, just, yes, there was a choreography of 
how to change the child. So there was anticipation so that the child would know after this ear comes this ear, after this arm comes this arm. So there was this beautiful uh, 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 choreography and this dance. But within that, there was all this beautiful uh, opportunity for improvisation of dialogue and really exploring um, each person's humanity in a beautiful way. But what you were talking about, Jeff, about building that that relationship and making it easier for the caregiver so they don't need those contraptments. This is what Emmy Pickler did. There was an order for the children when they would be cared for, right? There were eight children in the group. Originally, there were 12. Then there were eight. But she also started the primary caregiving concept. She was the first one to do that and something that you learned at PITC, the prime, the primary caregiver. So within the three caregivers that would rotate uh, during the day, there would be, each caregiver would be in charge of really three children and writing in their diaries. So when you write in a child's diary, you really have to hone in and learn about that child, really. And what happens when you learn to observe and write about that child? You fall in love with them. So it wasn't a difficult thing for the caregivers to be, you know, working for very, very little pay. But it was like, oh, I am just so happy to see little Johnny that's doing this and little uh, Gabor that's now doing this. And they became, in a way, so involved within each other. And what Emmy Pickler did that was so genius is separated the play area, a safe play area where the children can move and play freely among themselves, interact among each other, learn to problem solve, learn to take toys, learn about loss of gravity because of the objects that were there. And then behind a little gate was the restroom area where she would then take one child at a time and for 20 minutes change a diaper or bathe or feed something that was a caregiving interaction that was done one-on-one. So she was able to really create this beautiful balance. And I think if we do this more often, we can relieve a lot of our caregivers from so many responsibilities that uh, they are tasked with because they really, like I didn't know when I was 18, how they can do things better in a way where at the end of the day, and this is something I learned from my teacher, Uta Stroop. And this is a parenthesis. She's 87 years old. We just taught in China in December. That was our last trip. We taught from nine to five for seven days. At the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, I'm so exhausted. And Ute's like, woo. Ute, aren't you tired, Ute? She's 87 years old. She says, Elsa, if I'm tired, it's because I did it all wrong. So how do we use our energy, right? Going back to my teacher, be present now, be present now, be present now. This is something beautiful for our caregivers and all the preschool teachers and everyone in the child, uh, early childhood profession to just replenish yourself and be present and just be good, feel good. I really wish our teachers and our caregivers would get an award. You know, why are they getting such little pay when professors are getting you know, so much pay when the brain is almost already all developed, right? We have it all wrong. Let's look at that scale. So anyway, that's it. That's my passion. 
That's, That's all great. I wanted to share. I know we've gone way over. I don't know who's watching this, if it's of interest to anyone, but it's I want to thank you. There's no special time limit. We wanted you to just be and tell us what you know. That you haven't gone over. Everything's good. Everything's good. <laughs> I have got one last question. What what didn't we ask you that we should have asked you? Yeah. Let me see, because I know you had some questions. Oh, yeah. That was just because you asked for them. <laughs> There's no special question here. Uh, oh, you talk about the concept of love. You can ask me about that. Ah. In one of your, in one of your um, suggestions was, you know, do we love all children equally? Yeah. How about yeah. the challenging behaviors? And do we love them as well? So I guess my answer would be every child is a unique individual. And we come to love them by caring for them. And this is something that uh, Mariam David and Jean-Vierre Appel wrote in their book, Lotsi. They were the first ones to ever let the world know about Lotsi, about the Pickler approach. Their book is called Lotsi, an unusual approach to mothering. And this is what they said. A mother cares for her baby because she loves her. A caregiver loves the baby because she cares for her. And I guess a closing thought would be going back to the topic of love, something that uh, a dear friend who is Dr. Joshua Sparrow from the Brasselton Touchpoint Center, uh, we just did an interview as part of our Pickler conference. And this is, these were her closing words, his closing words. So I want to share this with all of you regarding the topic of love. And I quote, love regenerates itself. The more love we make, the more love there is. The more love we share, the more love there is. Love spreads love. And that's what I wanted to share as a closing, closing thought because we all need to spread more love in our world. Absolutely. Amen to that, Jeff. Well, Elsa, thank you so much for sharing your time and your story and yourself. I know as soon as I, uh, I sign off of the Zoom here, I'm going to go ask my wife if she wants to dance uh, <laughs> because of you. I um, hope that goes, goes well. well um, thank you so much. I will share in the show notes how people can reach out and connect with you if they need more of you in their lives. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us on this episode of Early Learning Journeys. Listeners, we'll be back soon with another episode thanks for tuning in bye-bye bye everybody bye everyone thank you for the huge honor <laughs>